can't you hear Mel Gibson yelling, freedom? Right? Hey, let's all stand. You're going to help me with the beginning of the message today. The words are going to be up here on the screen. We are going to, uh, in honor of God's word, uh, say this together, Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, Words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Amen? Amen. may be seated. So two weeks ago, if you're just joining us today, we kicked off this series. Uh, We took a look at, at Daniel. We looked at Daniel in the Old Testament, and we saw how Daniel stood against consistent attacks on his faith and lifestyle, and he remained faithful to God. He and the other men along him, along with him, uh, worked out a deal with their captor to follow God's laws in what they eat, not the not Nebuchadnezzar's laws, and they remained faithful. Uh, Daniel remained faithful even with the prospect of being thrown into a fiery furnace, staring right at him in the face. In fact, he didn't just pray. Somebody pointed this out to me last week. He gave thanks to God. Uh, I didn't put this up on the screen, but in Daniel 6, 9 through 10, it says, So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published... He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. This wasn't a new thing for him. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. It was his habit. It was his routine. And he didn't stop it. He didn't continue to pray but leave the windows closed so nobody would know. He continued to live his faith before the people and And what did he get for that? He got thrown into the fiery furnace. Uh, Now, the plot behind this new law, it was an evil one. It was a a bunch of other government officials who didn't like Daniel and didn't like that that he had the king's ear and that that he was well-liked and they couldn't figure out any way to accuse him. 
Um, and even if Daniel had died in the fiery furnace and God hadn't chosen to supernaturally protect him, it wouldn't have been all lost. He still would have died maintaining his testimony and his faith in his Lord and Savior. You see, the dark forces of the spiritual realm would not have won had Daniel died. We are called and empowered to, faithful, to be faithful in the face of whatever it is. Of whatever it is. Uh, and then last week, we looked a little bit deeper into these dark forces of the heavenly realm, that they are, in fact, angels created by God who are led by the most beautiful angel of all, who chose to let that beauty go to his head and wanted to be like God and therefore God cast him and all those who were following him out of heaven to the earth and they've been trying to steal, kill, and destroy souls ever since. And they have power that is real and we must not underestimate, we must not refuse to, uh, I guess, agree that there is power there. We need to not take it lightly. C.S. Lewis says it this way, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to believe, is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They are real and they are powerless, but unless we give it to them, they have no power over us. We need to remember that. Unless we fall for their lies and fear, there is no influence there. This is why it's important that we are aware that there's a spiritual battle going on. It is why we need a firm foundation. It is why the thing that holds much of the armor together in the suit of armor is the belt, the belt of truth, our solid foundation. Everything we see, everything we believe, everything that we say should be held up against God's word. This is our standard. When you see a thought or, or an idea, you say, hmm, I wonder if, I wonder if, I wonder what God's word has to say about that thought or that idea. And we go search and we find the truth there. Obviously, you know this and I know this, we all struggle and we wish it was possible. It's hard to find truth today. You, you never know what is behind the study or the statement or the statistic or the platform or whatever. We have to be careful. We desperately need the belt of truth these days. God's word inspired and preserved. Inerrant. And what we must use as the bar for all belief. For all decisions we make, for all principles that we follow, life and joy and peace and correction and discipline are found in the pages of what God has given us. The truth of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 applies right now in our lifetime, though it was written 2,000 years ago. See, humans don't change much. God never changes. We don't change much either. Just you know, our age, the things that we have or the priorities that we have, those sorts of things. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness 
so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Chip Ingram, in his book, The Invisible War, says, we do not fight for victory, we fight from victory. Let me read that again. We do not fight for victory, we fight from victory. So as believers in Christ, Chip says, we are invincible. We cannot, our souls as followers of Jesus Christ cannot be destroyed. We are safe and secure in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, our body can, and our things can. But what is the most important? What should be the most important? Our soul. That is our priority. The Bible gives us numerous promises of victory over the power of the enemy. You see, we don't earn salvation. Salvation is given to us. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. But, um, so we, we fight from that place, not for that place. I mean, isn't it, isn't it encouraging to know that you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, are a part of the greatest army ever seen in the history of the world? That's because that's what we are. And it's really this thought that we fight for victory, not that we fight from victory, not for victory, that helps us look at today's piece of armor. Uh, it, it can be so easy to feel like the war is being lost, to feel like all hope is gone, and, and that we're really just powerless uh, to overcome what lies before us. But that couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, that's exactly what the enemy wants you to think. He wants us to get discouraged and just give up. But we must not give up, but we must armor up. And we must face this battle being prepared. So we need to, number one, put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. A Roman breastplate was an important uh, piece of armor that protected the midsection of the soldier all the way around. Uh, it was a strong, sleeveless piece of armor. <clears throat> it protected their heart, their lungs, their intestines, essentially all of their vital organs. In ancient Jewish thought, the heart represents the mind and the will. Uh, the bowels were thought to be where the emotions and feelings reside. Now, think about your daily life and think about where Satan would attack the most often and the most consistently. It's kind of in those areas right there, isn't it? Our, our heart and our mind and our will and our emotions and our feelings. If he can get us headed in a negative direction on any of those roads, he's got us right where he wants us. And so we need to fight against that. We need to protect ourselves against that. We need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. I mean, Satan pushes, he pushes great areas of thought in a direction that aids in his efforts. Nationally, even in a community. Could be a world system or a sinful environment of some kind that pressures and tempts us to think wrong thoughts. 
You know, you've, you've heard the saying that, that um, a bad apple can, you know, make the whole bushel rotten, right? Not, and, and if you take a, a good apple and you put it in, a, in the middle of a bushel basket that's the rest are rotten, that good apple is not going to make the rest not rotten, right? There is great influence in, in that, and we need to remember that. We need to not put ourselves in the midst of, you know, that, that all of the, the majority of time that we spend is with friends who don't have the same principles and, and, and faith as we do. What's going to happen? Yes, we should minister to groups like that, but we should not spend the majority of our time with a group like that. We see it with our children every day. You know, we, we, we want to protect our children from being in the wrong crowd. We can't always do that, but we want to help them, help them figure out that you need, to make these, you need to make good decisions on who you choose for your friends. You know, you can choose your friends, you can't choose your relatives, right? We need to teach, and, and we need to be willing ourselves to have the right friends. Because Satan wants to cloud our minds with false doctrine, with selfish interpretations of Scripture that somehow justify, somehow we justify the sin that we're living with, with God's Word. He wants us to laugh at and be comfortable with sin instead of flee away from it or mourn because of it. As a nation of people, we desperately need the breastplate of righteousness. And look, when I say that, I'm not just pointing my fingers out there. We are a part of that nation. And how dare we judge others before we judge ourselves and humble ourselves before the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan wants to remove truth so he can replace it with his own perverse ideas. That's why it's so important that we know God's Word we meditate on it, invest in it. And it, it, it really has to start with each one of us individually. I mean, we have to take the battle seriously and not attempt to live our life without the armor of God. If a Roman, a Roman soldier would never leave his house going to battle without putting on that breastplate piece of his armor, or the belt of truth. The belt literally keeps it all, holds everything together. When Paul talks about righteousness in, his le- in the letters that he wrote, including Ephesians, there are two kinds of righteousness that he describes. Okay? One is given to us by God. It is perfect, and, and it's a righteousness that God applies to the account of every Christian the moment they trust in Christ as their Savior. And the other is a practical righteousness that Paul talks about that comes out in our daily lives because we have been given the first righteousness. Okay, and before we look at these two kinds of righteousness and which one Paul is talking about here in Ephesians, I want to take a quick look at what the breastplate of righteousness is not. This is a part of the battle. This is a part of my battle. This is what Satan wants us to think. Paul is obviously not talking about self-righteousness, okay, which is not righteousness at all, but a form of sin in kind of the worst way. 
Uh, many of us struggle with self-righteousness. It, it is what we tend to clothe ourselves with as we look at and make our lists of what it means to be a good Christian. And we begin to check that off. And then at the end of that checklist, there is another list that we have made up of things that God should give us or provide for us because we've kept that list. That is self-righteousness. It is thinking that our character and legalistic behaviors and accomplishments are raising, somehow raising God's view of us and bringing us reward. The rewards that you get and that I get and the gifts that we get, God gives them to us because he wants to give them to us, not because we've earned them. This isn't the, the, the world grading system. This, this isn't workplace benefits where if you, you sell a certain number of products in a week, you get a bonus check at the end of the week. That self-righteousness, instead of protecting us as followers of Christ, it's it gives Satan a ready-made weapon already to, to stifle and smother our spiritual life and service. We sort of short-circuit the power of the Holy Spirit in our life by taking over what should be his role in our life. And anytime Satan can move us in the direction of focusing on ourself, he will keep us as believers out of the power of fellowship with God and keep those who don't know Jesus Christ away as well. Our own righteousness, even as believers, we see is nothing more than filthy garments. And I'll save you the gross description of what he meant there. Filthy garments. It brings us no favor with God and no protection from Satan. So we need to be aware of our tendency towards self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. Now, let's turn toward the two descriptions of righteousness in Paul's letters. The first is this, imputed righteousness. I love to say that word, imputed. It ranks right up there with propitiation for me. Right? In fact, those two words can be used in the same sentence. In order for God to impute righteousness, Jesus became the propitiation for our sin. Right? How to impress your theological friends. Essentially, in order for, for God to impute righteousness, Jesus became the propitiation for sin. Uh, neither are we capable of doing ourselves. We have to admit that. We, that is part of our humble submitting to God. I can't do that. Jesus was our propitiation or substitute in that he lived the perfect life that we can't. And he was the perfect sacrifice that did away with our sin that we are incapable of making. And imputed righteousness is the idea that the righteousness of Christ that was, pro that was provided for by 
his propitiatory action, okay, is imputed to believers. That is, we are treated as if we were, if, as if those, as if that righteousness was ours. So it is on the basis of Jesus' righteousness that we are reconciled to God. This acceptance is also referred to as justification. We, we cannot justify ourselves, but in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are justified as believers. His righteousness is imputed into us. It is given to us. And, and there is nothing that we can do to make this happen. It is the gift of salvation. Talk about a gift. Ah. No wonder Satan does all he can to keep us from understanding and hearing the good news of the gospel, right? No wonder he's doing everything he can to screw up our minds and get us to think wrong and incorrectly about this. It is so life-changing and life-giving. He doesn't want us to have joy. God revealed what he was up to through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 59, 14 through 17. It says this, So justice is driven back and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Wow, does that sound like it was written yesterday? Truth is nowhere to be found. And whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in a zeal as in a cloak. No justice, no righteousness until the arm of God reached in. And that was Jesus Christ. Until his own arm provided righteousness. In Romans 8, 1 and 2, Paul is talking about that imputed righteousness. He's talking about justification, our salvation through Jesus Christ. In chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And, and in verse 25 of Romans 7, Paul says, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the therefore that he's referring to in chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there now is no condemnation. So if you are in Christ Jesus and you are beginning to feel condemned, that is a lie from the pit of hell. And you need to stare that in the face and say, no, you know what? I got my breastplate of righteousness on here. It was imputed to me by my Savior Jesus Christ. That is not true. I am not condemned. For there is one greater than that than those who are in the world. So when you start to hear things like, just look at your life. Just look at the decisions you have made in the past. Who are you trying to kid 
How could you even begin to think that you have eternal life? How could you even begin to think that you could ever be in the presence of an all-powerful and perfect God? Those are fiery arrows meant to deceive you and discourage you. Discouraging you so that you not only question your own salvation and the life that your life is in, that you are, um, it, it puts you in a position of spiritual weakness. And it also causes you, I believe, to give up on telling other people about the amazing love and grace and joy and peace that you're experiencing because you've bought into the lie and you're no longer experiencing love, joy, and peace. So as a Christ follower, when you start to hear messages of condemnation from the enemy, remind yourself of the truth. That there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then later in Romans chapter 8, Paul says, verses 33 and 34, who will br- Paul was great at this in, in the book of Romans. You know, as he's writing, I know that he's hearing, he writes something and then he, and then he hears the people that he's writing to ask a question. Well, yeah, but what about this? Well, so, you know, you say, you say that the more I sin, the more grace that, that I experience, then, then, then I should just go on sinning, right? Paul knows that they're thinking that. They're, he knows human beings. He's one himself. So Paul asks the question, who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen, knowing that they're asking that question or that they're struggling with that? Paul says, it is God who justifies Who then is the one who condemns? Well, if God is justifying them, no one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. What a comfort imputed righteousness is. What a gift. Can't earn it ourselves. I mean, praise Jesus for that. The other kind of righteousness Paul talks about is what I'm calling this morning practical righteousness. And, and I actually think this is the righteousness that Paul is talking about us putting on in Ephesians chapter 6 because if, are you with me? If how, We can't put on righteousness that's imputed into us by God. So literally, if, if, if Paul is saying, you need to put this on, you need to, to not just see it sitting over there and know about it, you need to appropriate it, you need to use it. Put on this righteousness, Paul says. This practical righteousness is the life that we live on an everyday basis that is obedient to God and his word. God puts the imputed righteousness in us, but... but but we are to put on this breastplate of righteousness. And, and we need to put it on every day. In fact, sometimes I think it just falls off of us in the middle of the day and we don't realize it. In the next moment, we're on Facebook spewing some derogatory thing and we don't even realize it, or we do realize it and we don't care, which is a whole other problem. But every day, every decision, every thought captive, every choice. We can't live lazy lives. 
Not in the world that we're living in. We can't live lazy lives. We need to put it on. Every interaction with other people, every reaction to good news or bad news. These are all opportunities for Satan to kill and destroy, to launch some flaming arrows our way. And and are we going to allow them to hit and penetrate and catch us on fire? To discourage us with the breastplate of righteousness firmly in in place. They will will bounce off. We will know how to react to them when, when they come flying our way. Philippians 3, 12 through 14, Paul says, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. That's justification. That's the imputed righteousness. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, practical righteousness, daily living, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We have to be serious about this. We have to be intentional about this. Again, we're not fighting for victory, but we're fighting from victory. The empowerment is there. The the possibility is there. To stand firm. Too many people take God's patience and grace for granted. I mean, we all have. Um, They say things like, and I say they knowing that I've said these things, it doesn't matter what I do or say because I have the blood of Jesus covering my life. Yes, that's true. But Paul would say that's not an excuse to live however you want and to say whatever you want and to do whatever you want. That is then what keeps us from being condemned when we do make a a mistake and we do fail and we we get on our knees before our our perfect God and we we repent of that wrong thought or that whatever it was. When we think like I can do whatever I want whenever I want, which again really fits into our sort of national mindset these days. Think back 15 years, if you have a memory good enough to think back 15 years or 20 years. I I wonder what my grandmother would say today. Because, I mean, things were bad for her and we were sliding down a slippery slope when she was alive. And that was over 30 years ago. We've been moving in this direction for a long time as a, as a nation, as a church, church. You know, 30 or 40 years ago, churches still believed that this was the inerrant word of God. And not all churches believe that today. And, and what are they doing? They're justifying sin by either interpreting it what most orthodox theologians would say improperly, or they're just leaving it out. I always go back to this. I read this in a newspaper. There, I'm not even going to mention what denomination was, but they were having this argument over whether homosexuality was a sin or not, or what, with what they should do with it. 
And the leader of this region, of this denomination said, we value relationships over the Word of God. That's a direct quote. And when you do that, now, the Word of God is all about relationships. We were created for relationships. Where else would we get our truth of how to live in relationships and and how to, to live life in the way that God designed it to be lived in? Oh, no, no, no. We put relationships here and then down here is the Bible. So if there's anything in here that would sort of make these uncomfortable or make us do things that we don't want to do here, then, then we defer to here. We can't do that. We end up with right being called wrong and wrong being called right when we do that. We have to realize that when we think this way, that, that I can just do whatever I want, we become vulnerable to even more attacks by the enemy. We're right where he wants us. In fact, I think there are some cases where, where it's not fair to those who are trying to live right because those who aren't and they've just chucked this, he doesn't have to worry about them anymore. And he's able to focus more time on those that are. I don't know, that just came to my head, but. It kind of feels like it makes sense. You see, we have to fight for good in our lives. Because if we don't fight for it, we just give in to the bad. We must not let anger and hatred rule our decisions and the things that we post on Facebook. We, the, the enemy gains ground when we do that, and quite honestly, our testimony goes out the window. We must not let sin reign in our mortal body. If we do, we will just give in to its lusts. Every whim, every feeling, every emotion, every hormone that we experience, we just go with it. We can't do that. We have to fight the good fight for good in our lives. In 2 Corinthians verses 6 and 7, Paul says, In truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the hand, in the right hand, and in the left. He's, he's talking about making good decisions every day, living a righteous life practically. As those who have been imputed with salvation, may we put on the breastplate of righteousness every day. Ephesians 4.24, Paul says, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You know, old timers, some of you are in this room, instead of righteousness, you would say holiness or purity, purity in life. Let's put on our new self. Let's put on the breastplate of righteousness. And let's teach our children how to do the same. Let's live in daily and let's live in daily and moment by moment obedience to our Heavenly Father, no matter what. 
Our standard of living and the power to live it comes from God. And then we supply the willingness. The belt of truth is a foundation that our righteousness finds, um, that our righteousness finds its direction. Not being armored in righteousness is the quickest way to lose joy in our lives, isn't it? I mean, you've had experiences and times in your life where, where it just seemed like, and you would describe it this way, life is just sucking the life right out of me. But oftentimes, the things that really suck the life right out of us is when we're not living right. I mean, nobody likes to be crossways with their mother or father. I certainly didn't. And he wouldn't have to say much, actually, just be in the room. And in those moments when I'd done something that I knew I shouldn't have and that he didn't approve of, I felt terrible. The same is true in our lives. If we're comfortable with sin or whatever before a holy God, it, uh, the joy just gets sucked right out of us. Not being armored in righteousness is the quickest way to lose joy. John, John provides us with many warnings and commands in his letters, and he implores us to walk in the light. And the reason that he gives us to walk in the light is found in 1 John 1, 4. We write this to make our joy complete. It brings joy. There's a couple of us, and maybe more than I know, but I know of a couple of us in this room who are, are trying to break in and raise new puppies. And... Um, you know, what you want to create for them is, is that feeling of joy when they do what you ask them to, right? And you give them a reward. What's that? Okay, now, I'm not, I, that actually takes us in the wrong direction theologically, but, but it made sense in my mind at the moment. Um, the point I'm trying to make is from the dog's perspective. <laughs> There's this sense of joy when my owner gives me praise or is happy with what I just did. Pee on the floor, you're not going to see happiness. <laughs> I want to make my creator happy, but I can be convinced that, that it's me that I need to make happy. It's me that I need to satisfy. Okay, I mean, our emotional and relational problems are caused by a lack of personal holiness, wrong priorities and selfishness, dishonesty and a lack of integrity, unfaithfulness and betrayal in a relationship. And we feel bad and we, we try to hide it. That's that condemnation that enters into our life. It fractures relationships and families. It can cost us money and litigation and legal fees. It makes us weak to further attacks from the enemy. King David experienced this. If King David had gotten up that morning that, or that evening when he went up onto his rooftop to look over his kingdom, and if he had put on his breastplate of righteousness before he took all of that time to watch Bathsheba as she took a bath, Maybe he doesn't experience the difficult stuff, some of the difficult stuff that he experienced in his life because of that sin. In addition to losing our joy in life, our lives also become fruitless when 
we lack practical righteousness. Our testimony and witness becomes a clanging symbol to people around us. Oh, yeah, yeah, talk all you want. I know how you live. We need to take it seriously. The enemy is constantly looking for an edge. He's constantly looking for a place where he can grab a hold of and try to manipulate us even more, so we must be vigilant. In addition to losing our joy in life, we become just noise in the ears of people we are around and who are watching us to see if there is something real about the faith that we're boldly proclaiming. Of all people, I know that we will always make mistakes. I'm not, it's, it's, it's not an expectation of perfection, but willingness. That's why John reminds us of this. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, you need to remember that you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. No, we're not perfect, but we're justified. We have the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ as believers in Him. And we we need to remind Satan of that. It's knowing that fact that should spur us on to daily put on the breastplate of righteousness. Fighting the battle from, from victory, not for victory. So let's fight the battle intentionally. Knowing we have an enemy that doesn't fight fair, is very good at deceiving people, and whose power we should not take for granted. Let's put on the breastplate of righteousness by seeking God and His righteousness above everything else. Let's let's make Him and His ways our dwelling place. Let's delight in His commands and laws. Let's, Let's eat them up like honey, for their pages are dripping with truth and good. When the Holy Spirit reveals unrighteousness to us, let's humble ourselves before God. Let's repent. Let's turn away from it. Not excuse it, not justify it, not say, oh, well, everybody else is doing it. No, what does God want? Let's do that. And let's help each other to do that. Peter tells us in his first letter, worship team, you guys can come up here. Peter tells us in his first letter, and we went through this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. That's it, right? We're in a spiritual battle. Are we going to fight? Are we going to fight prepared? Or are we just going to wander through the battlefield and seriously get our butt kicked? That's the battle, and may the breastplate of righteousness help us to develop a purity of heart to fight that battle and manifest itself in our actions and our lifestyle so that the people around us not only see the joy that's in our life, but experience joy themselves because it's overflowing into them so that our lives are conformed to Christ 
because of his imputed righteousness and we become a light in other people's worlds of darkness because there is lots of darkness out there. Don't you want to be a light? Don't you want to fight right and in a position of strength? Let's put on the breastplate of righteousness. Would you stand?